0: Many of you know uh, that I like wine. Uh, It's become a bit of a joke around the church, actually. Uh, I have been very fortunate in my life to enjoy some very nice bottles of wine. Uh, But wine is a little tricky. It's made to get better as it ages. Uh, A good wine made by a good winemaker from a good vineyard, it should be better over time as it ages uh, and yet, if it's not kept properly, wine can go bad. I had this experience just a few weeks ago. Some of you, this is going to be very painful for, because you like wine too. On New Year's Day, a family member, we were up in Wisconsin visiting Sarah's family, and on New Year's Day, a family member decided to open up a special bottle of wine that had been given to her as a gift from a very wealthy friend. The wine was a 1998 Screaming Eagle Cabernet from Napa Valley. This is what they call a cult wine, because apparently you have to belong to a cult in order to get it. No, it's because it, it creates this kind of buzz and this kind of anticipation over drinking this wine. Only a very few people can actually drink this wine, however, because the retail price for one bottle of this was $4,514. You can imagine how excited I was that she was going to open that for me, her favorite brother-in-law. She had been saving it for a special occasion, and... That day happened to be the day that she decided to open it up on New Year's Day 2022. But there was a problem. There was some concern over how it had been kept. The family had moved. Uh, There was some question about when they got the wine and how it had been kept before they got it. So we were a little uh, anxious, I guess is the right word, as we opened up the bottle of wine. And sure enough, as we opened it, the cork crumbled. We had to strain the wine into our glasses, and it was cloudy, and it had kind of a burnt red color, and instead of that heady California Cabernet smell, it was sour. It was undrinkable, and after a few sips, we poured $4,518 of wine down the drain, Uh, Had the wine been kept properly, this would have ranked up there with one of the top experiences that I've ever had of drinking a nice bottle of wine. Uh, Lucky for you, it became a sermon illustration instead. Friends, you are more precious to God than that expensive bottle of wine. And Jesus prays here in John chapter 17 that God would keep you, that he would protect you, that he would preserve you. Jesus had been keeping his disciples during the time that he ministered on earth, and he recognized that they were a gift of God, that they were God's chosen people, that God had given them to him, and now Jesus is getting ready to conclude his earthly ministry. We are less than a day out from his crucifixion and death. And as he looks into his own death and his resurrection and ascension into heaven, as he anticipates that, he gives these men who were given to him back to God for their safe keeping. Now the idea that God would keep his people, would protect and preserve his people, that is a long biblical history most Sunday mornings, you hear Pastor Bryce or I, with our hands raised, pronounce the benediction for Numbers chapter 6, the Lord bless you and keep you, something that you recognize. Psalm 121, the psalmist says that he, God, who keeps you will not slumber or sleep. Behold, he who keeps Israel Will neither, or the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Isaiah chapter 27, another great passage where God is pictured as a winemaker. He says, A pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, I keep it night and day. He protects us. He preserves us. Where do you keep things that need to be protected and preserved in your life? Some of you may have particular family heirlooms or stock certificates or something like that that you keep in a safety deposit box in a bank. Or maybe you have some place in your home that you hide your valuables. Uh, one of my grandmothers, when she died, her daughters descri- or discovered that she had been keeping her money in her mattress. Uh, that's where she had decided to hide some of her cash so that she would always have access to it. Well, Jesus asked God to keep us... In his name. That's interesting, right? What does it mean for God to keep us in his name in verse 11? Well, we get an idea back in verse 6. Look at verse 6 with me. I have manifested your name, Jesus says, to the people whom you gave me out of the world. I have manifested your name. Jesus says that he's manifested God's name to the disciples. That means that he has revealed to them God's character. He's revealed to them God's qualities, his attributes. In ancient Jewish literature, there's a very close connection between who you are and the name that you carry. And so the name itself tells us something about you. How does Jesus manifest God's character, his qualities? Well, he did it through his ministry. His teaching, His miracles, everything that Jesus had done for three years had demonstrated, had revealed God to the disciples. And what did they learn about God? They learned that God was holy. They learned that God was sovereign. They learned that God was all-knowing and compassionate, that He was all-powerful. They also learned that God was their Father. And that was something that was new for them. They heard the intimacy with which Jesus prayed to his Father. And they shared in that same intimacy as they understood that God was their Father. So when the disciples hear Jesus pray to God, remember, they are on their way out of the city of Jerusalem. They're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is praying out loud as they walk. The disciples are hearing Jesus as they go into the garden. And as they hear Him pray that God would keep them in His name, they're reminded, they are assured that it's God Himself. "...who is for them, that they belong to this Father, that they're safe and secure in God, and even if all the world should rail against them, even if the devil himself would attack them, they're safe in the God who is their strong tower, the God who is their shield and their fortress, they will never be lost." Theologically, this is what we call the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. The idea here is that anyone who has been truly born again cannot be unborn. Anyone who has been justified must go on to be glorified, to become a participant in the new creation, Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it. He talks about our future salvation in the present tense in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Paul says, Those whom God predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's how certain Paul is about your salvation. How can he be that certain? Because he knows this prayer of Jesus. I kept them, and now, Father, I am giving them to you so that you will keep them. Do you understand what this means? Your salvation is not left up to you. Your salvation is not something that you've got to hold on to, white-knuckling your grip on God through life. Friends, you are kept safe in the very name of God. Everything that is true about God is is built up around you as a sort of protection, as a sort of castle. Think about like a castle that you might go walk into. Over there is the tower of God's sovereignty. Here in front of you is the wall of God's sovereignty the omnipotence, his His being all-powerful. Behind you is that wall of His omniscience, His being all-knowing. Above you is the roof of God's holiness. Below you is the floor of God's goodness and mercy. You are surrounded by everything that is true of God. And He holds you and preserves you and protects you. Your heart and mind have been renewed by God's grace. You should not spend one moment obsessing about your future salvation. But Eric, I know in my own story that there have been times where I've walked away from the Lord. We have family members that I'm worried about. That happened. In fact, all of us here this morning, if we pass the microphone around, we could hear about periods and seasons of life where we find ourselves wandering in the wilderness or falling into various temptations and sins. But the promise of God is that even in that moment, we are being kept by God. He is at work in us. First, He gives us the grace to believe. And then he gives us the grace to keep on believing, to keep on trusting, to turn to him in repentance after sin and after failure to receive from him forgiveness and life. Now, Redeemer is a Presbyterian church. We are a reformed church. We like our doctrine. We like to make sure we have our dots dotted, our I's dotted, our T's crossed. And sometimes when we get to doctrines like this, we can kind of treat them in a way that is almost impersonal. Like, okay, I've, I've got my doctrine of the perseverance of the saints down. I, I understand the definition for it. Or even worse, we use it like as a, as like a, a wedge, you know, some sort of weapon against those Arminian in-laws that we have. You know, ah, you guys come over for lunch and so I'm going to tell you about the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. Jesus doesn't just give us this doctrine as something to kind of check off. He takes us deeper. And in this passage, he gives us at least three goals for God's keeping work. Look with me first at verse 11 again. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even As we are one. If you have your Bibles with you, we didn't print this verse, but in verse 21, he says that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. The first goal that Jesus has for your being kept safe is unity. Unity. You are being kept safe. In order to be something bigger than yourself. You are not saved to be a solitary unit. Instead, the Lord saves you and keeps you in unity with other men, women, and children around the world and down through history who also make up the body of Christ. And, Jesus says, you are kept in unity With the Father and the Son, too. Now, both parts of this truth are amazing. And they're probably hard for us to completely understand. I mean, first, what does it mean for us to be one with the Father and the Spirit? Because the Creator is completely different than us, the creation. Well, often when Jesus talked about being one with the Father, He talked about His own reliance upon the Father. He talked about the work that the Father called Him to do. And so that's one way for us to think about this. That our union with the Father and the Son is who we are. It's our identity. And it also is the motivation for the work that we're called to do. So even if we don't completely understand what it means for us to be one with the Father and the Son, we at least have to acknowledge that. But this second part is almost as radical Almost as startling as the proclamation that all of us are one. Because all of us are different. And we're different from other Christians that are in this city. And we're different from other Christians that are in this country and around the world. But friends, one of the implications that Jesus is telling us is that the church transcends every conceivable boundary there is. The church transcends denominational boundaries. All true Christians aren't found in the PCA, thankfully. Thankfully, they are found in other churches that we have strong disagreements with. The church transcends geographic boundaries. The heart of global Christianity now is probably south of the equator. And no longer in the western hemisphere, but it's in the eastern hemisphere in places that Western Christians used to go and send missionaries to to evangelize, now they are evangelizing us. The church transcends racial boundaries. Even though Sunday morning in the United States is still the most segregated moment in our nation's timeline. We confess with hope. ...that the church will continue to reflect this reality. The church transcends cultural boundaries. Socioeconomic boundaries. People are brought together from radically different places. And what unites us is not the thing that unites people in the world. What unites us is our common hope and trust in Jesus Christ. Oh, but Eric, that's not what I see when I see the church. And you're right. The church is divided doctrinally. The church is divided culturally. The church is divided even by preference. And so, just as we can't completely comprehend what it means for us to be one with the Father and the Son, so also we can't completely comprehend what it means for us to be one together. But it is a reality that we must confess, it's a reality that we must lean back onto. And friends, where we can see that unity, we should celebrate it. Celebrate it with brothers and sisters here in this room, in this church, churches in the city, churches around the world. Where we don't see it, we should lament. And we should seek to overcome the divisions that do exist. We also need to check ourselves to make sure that we are building up the body rather than tearing it apart. Why are you being kept? You're being kept to be part of this global unity of of believers in the body of Christ who in turn reflect back to the world, Jesus says, the truth of Jesus. One of the second goals I think that Jesus lays out here for our unity is found in verse 13. Look at verse 13. Now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world. Why? That they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. You are being kept by God so that you can experience the joy of Jesus. Have you ever thought about the joy of Jesus? Jesus, of course, was uh, accused of being a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was a man who enjoyed the gifts of the world. But Jesus, back in John chapter 15, when he's in the upper room, he also defines what his joy is. He says, complete my joy to the disciples by abiding in my love, keeping my Father's commandments. For Jesus, there's no distinction, there's no disjunction between joy and obedience. He knows that to truly enjoy the world and all of its gifts, all of it must be put into proper submission to God. Our problem, too often, is that we elevate the gift above the gift giver, and when we do that, that ends up... Asking too much of the gifts that God has given to us. And instead of experiencing joy, those gifts sometimes create pain and sadness. Here's what I want you to understand about this. God has not saved you just to hide you away in some safety deposit box in heaven. God has saved you so that you can every day, Enter into the joy of Jesus. We do that by doing the things that God has commanded. We also do that by enjoying the world that God has made. With gratitude and thankfulness. Surveying our life. And seeing it as the gift of God. For the people of God. The Father is keeping you in His name. So that you might be one, all of us together, and also one with the Father and the Son. The Father is keeping you in His name, secondly, so that we might know the joy of Jesus. Third and finally, you are being kept so that you might be holy. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Friends, God keeps you in his name to make you more and more like Jesus. Oh, Eric, this was such a nice sermon before you got to this point. You just don't know the kind of week I've had. You don't know the struggles that I face. You don't know the sins and the temptations that are unique to me. Well, let me ask you this. How effective do you think Jesus' prayers are? You think Jesus gets what he prays for? Yes, is the right answer. You and I, we struggle, don't we? We struggle sometimes to pray for one another because we think, well, sometimes the things I pray for, they don't actually come to pass. Maybe you need to find a better person to ask to pray for that. Jesus knows that the struggle against sin is real. He knows that sometimes it seems as if we're on the losing side. But the confidence that you and I should have in this prayer of Jesus is that God will answer His Son's prayer. That He will do what Jesus asked Him to do. That God will have his way with us friends holiness is your destiny and nothing will stop god from the work of protecting and preserving and polishing you so that you are fit for the new creation this isn't the only place where we read that you remember what paul says at the end of first thessalonians Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Let's pray. Father, keep us. We lend our prayer to the prayer of our Lord. Keep us. May we know the strength of Your preserving and protecting grip. May we, by faith, release our own tenuous grips and trust You. Father, give us These gifts allow us to enjoy these goals that Jesus lays out here of unity and joy and holiness. Father, may they be true of us as you work out in us the answer to your Son's prayer. We pray all of these things in His name. Amen.